here on staff. Good to be with you this morning. Thanks for joining us. If you're watching online, thanks for being with us online. We're going to take some time and get into the story of Scripture this morning. But before we do that, I just want to invite you to uh, pray with me. We're going to talk to God together. We know that this last week, the, uh, the war in Ukraine has continued, and we want to pray about that. And then uh, many of you know uh, Bakash, who actually passed away just this last week. He uh, helped lead and start the church Beautiful Gate over in Kathmandu, Nepal, a partner church for us. And uh, we've supported them over the last several years and invested much as they've sought to come alongside uh, people with developmental challenges and disabilities in Nepal, uh, many that are overlooked in that culture, and they've lifted them up and raised them up. And uh, we have loved being involved with them, and it breaks our heart that Bakash um, passed away. And we just want to lift up that community this morning as well. So let's go to prayer together. And as we do that, I'm just going to let us have some moments of quiet before I start to talk um, with God with you. Uh, so let's, in those moments of quiet, just invite God to speak to us today. Father God, we're thankful that you are with us, that you are here, Spirit, that you are filling this place and filling our lives. Father, your grace and your truth are right before us. We pray that you'd help us receive it today. Lord, we lift up our world, really your world. We think of the families and individuals affected over in Ukraine by the war that's going on there, the battle, the, the fighting. Father, it breaks your heart and breaks our hearts as well. And we pray for peace. We pray for an end to the conflict, Lord. We ask that you would move on behalf of people that are suffering. Lord, we ask that you would change the story. We lift up our friends at Beautiful Gate Church, Lord. We lift up Akasha's family and the great loss of, of his life. Father, all the ways that you work through him to encourage people to know that they are loved by you and not overlooked. Father, we thank you for the testimony of his life. And we pray for his family and those that are in deep sorrow over his loss. But Lord, we're thankful that, that uh, life is not, death is not the end of any of our stories. We're thankful that there is hope even in that loss. Father, there will be a great reunion one day. And we're thankful for that truth. But we ask for those that are feeling his absence and pray for your comfort and your healing. And we pray that you would sustain the work that is being done in Nepal among so many um, generations and so many communities. Father, Lord, would you continue to do what you are doing there? And as we come before you this morning, we open up your words, we open up the Bible and, and look at what Jesus said and how he lived and the claims that he made. Father, would you um, speak to us? You challenge us to embrace you in new ways today. We're thankful that we can be together here in the building, online. Lord, we are your people. We are your kids. And we're thankful that we can be with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus was once talking to a large group of people. And uh, some of the people believed that he was the Son of God. Some believed that he was just a really good teacher, a rabbi. Some didn't know what to believe about him. 
And he began to make claims and say things that it was hard for them to understand. Jesus wanted them to engage in a new way of life. And he was saying things that they couldn't comprehend. It was challenging. And in John chapter 6, towards the end of that passage, we read these words. On hearing it, on hearing what Jesus was saying, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Does this offend you? That's a a great question for us to think about this morning. Jesus asked a lot of good questions. He came to someone who had been sick for almost three decades, and he said, do you want to get well? An interesting question to ask someone who's been sick for three decades. He he came to another community and said, do you see this woman? He, He said, do you see the people that are around you? Do you notice those who are going through difficult times around you? To another man who was born blind, he said, "Uh, what is it you want me to do for you? It seems like it would be obvious to us, but Jesus asked that question. Here he says, does this offend you? Does this offend you? Have you been offended by people in your life? Can you think of a time that someone offended you? Are you easily offended or do I have to work at it, you know, (laughs) to offend you? What's offensive to you? I think about a few years ago, I had a sense that God wanted me to start to look for a new role uh, in a church uh, somewhere else. I'd been the associate pastor at a church in Denver for 13 years. And before that, I'd been a, a lead pastor, senior pastor at a church in Minnesota. And I had a sense that God was saying, it's time, I want you to, to be leading a church again. I want you to be in that lead pastor role again. So I started to interview at churches, one on the West Coast, one in Wisconsin, one in, in the Denver area. And when you do that, you sit with people and they ask you lots of questions and you interact with them. And I was with one of these groups uh, sharing about this calling in my life, and one of them asked this question. He said, so you were the pastor at a church in Minnesota, and then you moved down to an associate pastor role. Uh, Why did you step backwards professionally, is what he asked me. And instantly inside me was this offense, this feeling of like, what do you mean, step back professionally? Like, it, it just made me step back a little bit, and I didn't like the question. It was offensive to me. And I'm not easily offended, so it made me pause for a moment. I had to think about, well, why was that offensive to me? Why was it that that question bugged me? It was like he said, you used to be a real pastor, and then you became half a pastor. Why did you make that decision? (laughs) That was the tone I picked up. And I think it bugged me because, uh, for me, we are in this together. There are different kinds of pastors. There are different kinds of leaders. There's youth pastors, executive worship pastors, senior pastors. But really, we're brothers and sisters here together. God's called all of us to be part of his kingdom work, to be part of what he's doing in this neighborhood, in this community. He's asked me to be the pastor here to help lead us, but that doesn't mean I'm like in some hierarchical kind of structure. We're in this together. And I think that's what was offensive to me, that this person saw this calling as like a greater than, lesser than kind of movement in the kingdom, when that's not, I don't think, how God calls us and operates. Jesus says, does this offend you? Does this push against your common sense? Does this shake up your understanding of how life is supposed to operate? Is this offensive to you? One author would write that what offends the mind reveals the heart. What offends us tells us something about what we value or what's important to us or how we think life should operate. What offends us reveals things about how we think about life. What's the last time, when's the last time that Jesus offended you? Has the way of Jesus, the the words of God, the teaching of Scripture ever offended you? Because if you're looking at them with honest eyes, I think you should be offended sometimes. It should push against the ways that you approach life. 
Think about some of the things Jesus said. He said, blessed are the meek. I don't embrace meekness. I'm independent. I'm strong. I'm able to do things on my own. I don't think of meekness as being a blessed state. Jesus said, love your enemies, which is great until you have an enemy. And then it's not such a great thing to hear. That person hurt me. They hurt someone I love. I'm not going to love them. Jesus said, love your enemies. He said, sell your possessions and give them to the poor. All of our possessions, Jesus? Yesterday, we had a, a thrift drive here for Mission Adelante. Let me just say on the side here, like that was a great, yesterday was fun. We had 20 volunteers show up. Uh, a lot of you drove through and dropped off stuff. We loaded up two trucks of things for Mission Adelante to help support them as they're coming alongside refugees and immigrants in the Kansas City area. What a cool thing. Jesus said, sell your possessions. Should we have all cleared out our houses yesterday and brought it to the thrift drive? Just like giving it all away. Is that what Jesus is saying? That's offensive that he would say that. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll do what I say. Yeah, but if I don't do what you say, will you still love me? Won't you still love me? The people that knew Jesus and listened to his teaching were offended at times. The real Jesus was offensive. He said that the good news he came to bring us is offensive. The gospel will be offensive. And it begs this question, if you're not offended by Jesus, you might not be following the real Jesus. You might be following a Jesus you've created, just kind of picking and choosing what sounds good to you. The real Jesus is going to push against your internal wiring, the ways that you approach life. If you're honest with your humanity and Jesus' divinity, there's going to be offense. And I want to encourage you not to run from that, but to lean into it. Because what offends the mind reveals the heart. Ask God, what are you showing me about myself when I'm offended by these things? If you acknowledge this offense, it's possible that you might be transformed by the Spirit of God. The way of Jesus, as you ask honest questions about it, there's this potential that you might actually be changed and live life in new ways. When Jesus confronts us with the truth that's offensive, he's trying to help us in a couple ways. First, Jesus wants us to confront our idols. Jesus wants to confront the idols in your life. Anything that you worship with your heart and your mind, anything that you put above God, anything that you give yourself to, Jesus wants to call that out. So Jesus will offend your theology. He will offend the system of religion that you've put together, how you interact with God. He's going to offend that so that you might find a, a new way. Jesus will offend your lifestyle, the habits and practices of your everyday normal life, the routines that you are in. Jesus will offend that. He will offend your finances how you use money, how you save money, how you give money away. He's going to have something to say about that. Jesus will offend your politics, what you vote for, who you vote for, why you vote the way you vote. Jesus will push and, and give you a challenge around that area of your life. Anything we value or esteem more than our creator God is an idol that Jesus will challenge and he will say something about Jesus wants no other competing affection or influence or authority over your life because he knows that those things will not lead you to life. They will not lead you to life everlasting. They will lead you somewhere else. They are fake gods, and Jesus invites you to surrender to the one true God. And sometimes that's going to feel offensive to you. Second, so first, Jesus wants to confront our idols. Second, he wants us to grow more into his image. Jesus will challenge the status quo of our lives, our mental habits, our, our factory settings, that he wants to kind of, he wants to change those things in us. He's not interested in, in making you into the best human version of yourself. God, Jesus does not want you to have your best life now. That's not what he's interested in. Jesus is interested in killing your old life 
and creating in you something totally different that will glorify God, a new way that's going to challenge you, that's going to call something new out of you. It will be offensive. John followed Jesus and was his close friend, and and he wrote about becoming like Jesus, reflecting the image of Christ to his friends. And here's what he wrote. If someone obeys God's teaching, then in that person, God's love has truly reached its goal. This is how we can be sure we are living in God. Whoever says that he lives in God must live as Jesus lived. This is what it means to be conformed to the image of Jesus, that we live in a different way, that we live in obedience to God. We live in, and we lean into the things that offend us about the truth of God as he spoke to the people of God revealed by the Son of God. And so Jesus asks in John chapter 6, he says, does this offend you? What is, what is he saying that would be offensive to those who are listening? Well, let's open up our Bibles. We're going to look at John chapter 6. So I want to invite you to take a Bible or open up your Bible app on your phone. And let's go to John chapter 6. And we're going to look at verse 30 of John chapter 6 and see what was so offensive about Jesus. What was he saying? Now, in this passage, uh, Jesus has a, a, a crowd following him around, several thousand people following him. And they are just enthralled with the things that they see him doing. He is uh, creating food out of thin air. He is healing people supernaturally. He's even walking on water. And people are enjoying the show. I mean, they are all about these amazing things they see Jesus doing. Uh, they, they're not really all that interested in like giving up their lives or living in new ways. They just want to see more of the spectacle. And it's, you know, it's better than reality TV or fail videos that we watch today. So, so Jesus calls them on it. And he says, there's a way to, you need to believe that God is working and changing lives all around you. That, that what you see is not really what's important. What, what you can't see is what's important. The transformation that God is bringing. If you want to really see God move heaven and earth, then you need to believe in the one that God sent from heaven to earth, a.k.a. Jesus, right? So he's trying to challenge them. And in verse 30, look at what's happening here. They come to him and, and they want to see more of these cool signs. They want to see more of the stuff. So verse 30, it says, They asked him, What sign will you give us that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, God gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Verse 34, they say, sir, rabbi, always give us this bread. Always give us this bread. And Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I have told you, you have seen me and still you don't believe. They say, always give us this bread. They are interested in this bread that comes down from heaven. They want it. Now, I've, I've shared this with, with you guys before, but I really like bread. Any of you guys like bread? Any bread lovers out there? Yeah, I, I love the, the crunchiness, the smell of it. I love how when you have like a bowl of chili or soup, you can use it like, like a sponge and just suck up the goodness. You know, I love all kinds of bread. I love the varieties, garlic bread, cornbread, sourdough bread, cinnamon bread, donut bread. Anybody have donut bread this morning? It's kind of the best kind, I think. Ever take a donut, like a plain donut, and cut it in half like a bagel and toast it, and then spread frosting on the inside and make a little donut sandwich? Man, don't get me going. It is good stuff. It is good stuff. 
I love making monkey bread for our, our family, you know, that, that cinnamon, sugary, brown sugar kind of bread. Anyway, I can go off about bread a little bit. Uh, everybody around the world eats bread. Every culture, every nation, every tribe has a, has a kind of bread that's part of their staple diet. It's just something they always have with them. Uh, we, we talk about bread in, in other ways. We use it for euphemisms these days. It's so ever-present that we use it to talk about things. We'll say things like, you're the bread to my butter, right? Have you ever said that to somebody? They didn't talk to you anymore, did they, after you said that? <laughs> yeah, it's like a term of affection that we don't really use. Uh, we talk about that's the greatest thing since sliced bread, you know? Nobody says that, but we, we know that euphemism, you know, that it's a great invention. We've been slicing bread for almost 100 years, but we continue to have that sticking around. Uh, when you want to get to know someone, when you want to like deepen a relationship, you sometimes might say, let's break bread together. Like it's a way of saying, let's get to know each other. Okay, you don't use that language, but it's out there. These, these, these uh, euphemisms that we use for bread. This crowd is following Jesus and they had just experienced a miraculous meal. Jesus, they were hungry. They'd been with him all day listening to him teach. And he took five barley loaves and two fish and he prayed for them and they multiplied and he fed well over, you know, several thousand people. They had watched this happen the day before this story we just read, and they were wanting more of it. It had been, they'd gone through the night, it was the next day, and they're like, we want some more of that bread you gave us yesterday. Let's get some more. We always be giving us that bread. And they go back to the Old Testament story when Moses was leading the people of God out of uh, Egyptian slavery towards the land promised to their ancestors. And they wandered through that wilderness for 40 years, but as soon as they were on the journey, they became hungry, they became thirsty, and, they, and, and God provided for them bread in the wilderness. And the people with Jesus, they're like, we've been hearing this story since we were kids. Our parents told us all about this amazing bread, and now we had it yesterday, and we want it again. We want more of that bread. I, I just want to go to that story in the Old Testament where Moses is with the people in Exodus 16, and they've been uh, wandering for several weeks, and they're hungry, and Moses says, God is going to provide food for you. And in Exodus 16, verse 14, it says, when the dew was gone, the next morning they woke up and there's dew on the ground. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. And when the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they didn't know what it was. That word, the Hebrew word for what is it is manu, which is where we get manna. That word manna, which means what is it? Like it was something, but they didn't know what it was. And Moses said to them, this is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. And the Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much and some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much. The one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. It's a cool story to think about. Like, can you imagine coming out of your tent and there's this weird stuff on the ground and Moses says, that's the bread that you're supposed to eat. Like, how would you start to gather that up? Like, I'd grab my, my beach pail and I'd just start scooping it in there, you know, as quick as I could. I, I imagine some people would put on, like, want to be a little more, like, germ-averse people. Might be, like, putting on little gloves and trying to separate it from the dirt of the ground. But, but they start to gather this up. And they each gathered, uh, they were supposed to gather an omer per person. And we all, of course, know what an omer is, right? I had, a, <laughs> had an omer of cereal this morning to start my day, right? <laughs> Uh, what is an omer? Well, biblical scholars help us understand. An omer is about nine cups. So nine cups of manna for the day. That was going to last them the day. And so we go on. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning. But it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Moses was angry. How shocking. He always seems angry to me. I don't know. He's leading these grumpy people for 100, you know, 40 years. 
millions of people, they're complaining, and, and it rubbed off on him. He was a grumpy guy, I think, and he was angry. You don't, you're not doing what I told you to do. Only enough for today, but you, you're not listening, and he was angry with them. They, they were like, we're going to take more than we need for today. Why was it that manna only lasted a day? Well, wasn't God trying to help them understand, like, you have to trust me. I'm going to provide for you today, and you're going to have to trust that I'm going to provide for you tomorrow. I'm not going to give you enough to last the week. It's just today. Tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. You're going to have to trust me that I'm going to provide what you need tomorrow. And the people, some didn't listen, right? They just, they gathered it together. They binged it. They stored it up, but it didn't last. The next day, it started to stink and smell. I've often wondered why when Jesus fed those thousands of people, it says that they collected the leftovers into baskets. And I've kind of wondered, why did they collect leftovers? Well, maybe it's because it was just like that manna. Jesus is like, this is just for today. You don't get to take any home with you. We're collecting the leftovers. You're going to have to trust me about tomorrow, just like the Old Testament. And Jesus is going to offend us when we have idols. And one of those big idols we hold on to is control. We like to be in control. We like to know that we've got things sorted out, that I'm going to be okay today and I'm going to be okay tomorrow and next week and next year. I've got it figured out. We like control. So Jesus says, this is only for today. You're going to have to trust that God's got what you need tomorrow. And then Jesus said, I am the bread. I am the bread of life. I'm sufficient. I'm enough. I'm what you need today, and I'll be what you need tomorrow. Back in John 6 here, the people want that miracle. They want Jesus to whip up some of that miracle bread because they can see it, and they can touch it, they can consume it, and they can know it's real. But God wants so much more for them than just a good show, just something miraculous. He wants to transform their lives. And so fill them up with his grace and his love that it can't help but come out of their life to their neighborhoods around them. So Jesus says, I am the bread. Don't settle for just physical bread alone. I am much better. I am living bread. And when you consume my way of life, you will find that you will have life everlasting. So let's go back to John chapter 6 here and pick it up in verse 48, where Jesus again says, I'm the bread of life. Verse 48, he says, I am the bread of life. Then he says, your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which people may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give you for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. This is where we start to see his followers say, this is hard teaching, Jesus. How are we to understand what you are saying to us? This is where Jesus says to them, does this offend you? In fact, many were offended at what Jesus said. They said, we don't eat flesh. We don't drink blood. The Jewish law says specifically, we don't drink blood. We're not cannibals. So what are you asking us to do? They couldn't understand what Jesus was trying to say to them. He was trying to help them understand a greater truth. And they were offended by what he said. And this is why his close friends even said, this is hard teaching. And a few verses later, in verse 66, the sad result of this time is recorded. It says, Jesus' speech made many of his disciples go back to the lives they led before they followed Jesus. They went back to their old way. I'm not a numerologist, but it's interesting. This is John chapter 6, verse 66, right? 666 tells us that they left Jesus and went back to their old way of life. They so misunderstood what he was trying to say 
that they no longer followed the one who could save them, the one who came to reveal everlasting life. And looking back at the story, as John is writing this down, John knew what would happen next, and he knew what, where Jesus would take this and what Jesus meant, because he remembered that they sat the, the night before Jesus died on the cross, they sat together and had the Passover meal, and Jesus took the bread and said, this is my body broken for you, take and, and eat. And he took a cup of wine, he said, this is my blood shed for you, take and drink. And John understood that he was using these symbols to remind them that there was a new way of life, that his actual body would be broken, his blood would be shed, but that that would give us a new way of life. And that when we take that into our hearts and into our minds, that something new is created. In a few minutes, we're going to receive communion together and be reminded of this truth. But 2,000 years ago, when Jesus stood before that crowd and he talked about eating his body and drinking his blood, they, they couldn't understand it, offended their understanding of life, and they moved away. And instead of allowing Jesus to shift their spiritual reality and their human experience, they, they went back to their regular lives, eating regular barley loaves of bread that would make them, you know, they'd be hungry again the next day. And they missed out on the bread of life that would bring them to life everlasting. Jesus continues to offend us today, to stretch us beyond what we can physically see and understand, to challenge us. I want to finish up by just giving you a little bit more about why this is offensive, why Jesus said the gospel was offensive. Why is it that these things are offensive to us? Are you guys ready for the uh, whiteboard here? I'm not sure I am, but we're going to give it a shot. So uh, Jesus, uh, in the beginning of John, we're told that Jesus uh, came from the Father, that he was full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. And later Jesus was talking to a woman about worship, and he said the true worshipers of the Father will worship the Father in grace and uh, full of grace in the Spirit. Grace and truth, uh, truth and the Spirit. And these are two parts of what Jesus came to help us understand. That we need grace and we need truth. And not just like 50% grace and 50% truth. We need 100% of God's grace, 100% of God's truth. We need it brought into our lives. We need to receive it and understand it. And the radical truth of Jesus and the uh, amazing grace of God is offensive to us. It push, pushes against our internal wiring, our external habits. It, it's offensive in beautiful ways. It doesn't make sense to us. So when you have both grace, 100% of grace, and you have 100% of truth, this is offensive to us. It pushes against what we understand as, as our normal way of life. And we need both of those things. Jesus had this ability to bring both of them to us, to push and to challenge us to understand who God is and what he calls us to. Now, when you start to put one of these things above the other, if you start to put grace above truth or truth above grace, you begin to shift away from this offensive gospel and it becomes something else. So if you focus more on grace than you do on truth, if you just focus on the fact that we're accepted and forgiven, but you don't focus on the fact that we're called to something else, that we're called to live in a new way, this becomes passive. And we can settle into just sitting in the love of God and not ever allowing him to spur something new in us. I think about the, the young man who was wealthy that Jesus interacted with. And he's the one that Jesus had to say, go sell all your possessions and give to the poor. This, this rich person had done all the right things according to the truth. Jesus said, do you understand the law? And he says, I've always done the right things. I've always followed the law. And he had become passive in that. He was just settled and like, I've done all the right things. And Jesus had to kind of call him out of that passivity and say, well, one thing you're not doing yet, sell everything and give it to the poor. And he had to call him out from that passivity. 
If you start to put truth over grace, if you start to say, you know what, it's all about what we do, you got to do the right things in the right way at the right time, and you don't, and, and you don't let grace also come into the story, this becomes, um, if this is passive, <laughs> just lost it. this is oppressive, there it is, this is oppressive. And I think about the Jewish leaders with, uh, around with Jesus, and Jesus had to say to them, you put heavy weights on the back of the people, and it weighs them down, and you don't even help them stand up. It was all about the truth. It was all about the Old Testament law, the ways of God, the rules that they had created. And they were like heavy weights on the people. And so instead of grace helping to speak into that, it was oppressive to them. And then there's this last quadrant where you don't have any grace. You don't have any truth. There's no kindness. There's no hope. And in this place, we're abandoned and alone. And when someone comes at you with no grace and no truth, it's just abusive. It's not good. It doesn't help. It doesn't stretch. It just is hurtful and abusive. I think about the woman who was caught in adultery. And the leaders brought her before Jesus and threw her on the ground. They had sort of set this up to try to capture Jesus, to trick Jesus into saying something. So there wasn't any truth there. And they didn't offer her any grace. They just wanted to stone her. And Jesus found a way through that. He brought both truth and grace to that situation. Jesus held grace and truth in intention, and he brought 100% of each to us. So he would say that you are loved, and God loves you so much, he wants to bring you into a new way of life. You are accepted and forgiven just as you are, but God doesn't want to leave you just as you are. He wants you to grow into something new. You will be transformed into a new creation. We need to be accepted and challenged at the same time. And often this is offensive to us. It feels we push back. It doesn't make sense because we tend to lean to one side or the other. We're either grace people or we're truth people. And if you're a, a gracer, you're a grace person, then, then this gentleness and this kindness of God, you, you're all about the love of God, but it's hard for you to call someone out when they're, when they're living in a way that doesn't honor God, when there is sin and rebellion, even in your own life, you have a hard time calling that out. Why would God not accept that person just as they are? Well, he, has, he does accept them, but he also has something better for them, a life that he created them for. If you're a truther, then you know all about the way that is narrow and a path that not many find, but you have a hard time letting people live the journey God has them on and make their way onto that road in the ways that God wants them to. You, you don't have much patience for them. You don't have much grace for them. And, and you know who you are. You know which side you lean on more, how you treat yourself. You, you, you see yourself through this, own, this lens. You, you offer yourself more grace or more truth. You expect things out of yourself. You're hard on yourself. And you also treat other people this way. You treat other people with grace or more truth. Jesus said it takes both. You have to bring both into balance. And it's hard to do that well. And it's offensive to our understanding of how the world works. But this is what we're called to. We desperately need grace and we're starving for truth. And Jesus brings both of them to us and helps us know that we are loved and that God is calling us to live in new ways. And God uses it to change us, to challenge us. Jesus says, does this offend you? Good. Because what offends the mind reveals the heart. And God is all about our hearts, wanting to bring us into a new way of life. So let's ask him to do that. Will you pray with me? Let's invite him to help us embrace this, this tension and this challenge of grace and truth. Um, pray with me. Let's talk to God together. Father, thanks for this story, this reality of Jesus before this crowd of people 
calling them to something greater than just some miraculous healing or some, some amazing bread from heaven, Lord. He called them to something greater, a transformation, the work that you wanted to do. And Father, we thank you that, that you don't leave us as we are, that you love us and accept us and forgive us as we are, but you call us into something else, that you want to bring us into a new life and you want to create in us a new creation. And Father, as we push with you about that, as we wrestle back and forth, we thank you that you are patient, that you are kind, and that you reveal what is right and good for our lives. You give us the truth. Help us to hear that this morning and then help us to reveal that to others. Allow us to love people well and to share with them the way of life that you created us for. Father, we thank you for communion, that we can come this morning before you and be reminded of what Jesus did on the cross. So we invite you to speak to us during this time as we receive these elements, as we, we take them into our, our bodies physically, right? we be reminded that you, that you, Spirit of God, are filling us spiritually. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.